Hey, everybody. It is Friday, March 31st, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, it's been quite a uh, Thursday afternoon. (laughs) As we're prepping the podcast, the Trump indictment comes down. Gwyneth Paltrow's not guilty. Uh, It's been quite a hectic afternoon. And we should mention that tomorrow is April Fool's Day. All of those headlines that Mosh just mentioned are quite true. That is not a joke for April Fool's. But just a heads up, uh, again, that you might see a lot of brands and companies think it's funny to to do these April Fool's jokes recently. So uh, just, you know, be a little skeptical. Yeah, if you see a headline that seems too good to be true or too bad to be true in the next 48 hours, it might be fake. It's April Fool's Day. And between the AI pictures we've seen recently uh, and the various headlines that have come out there, just take a pause before resharing. Now, we will reassure you again, everything you're about to hear on this podcast is totally (laughs) true, has happened or will happen. So without further ado, let's get to the headlines. A New York grand jury votes to indict Donald Trump. The first time in American history that a president will face criminal charges. For the first time since the Cold War, an American journalist is behind bars in Russia, accused of spying. Thousands of people rallied at the state capitol in Tennessee, demanding tighter gun laws. Two Black Hawk helicopters crashed into each other over Kentucky, killing nine service members while the latest on the investigation into what went wrong. A jury has found Gwyneth Paltrow not guilty in her ski accident trial, Awarding her $1 will explain. Some new numbers on population trends tell us where people are moving to and where they're moving from. Many of us grew up watching Friends, but Jennifer Aniston says the show is not landing with younger, more sensitive audiences who find it offensive. And Moshe has on this day in history. Jill, a big moment for the Eiffel Tower, the film Footloose, and this sound effect. Boop, 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 boop. Do you have any idea what wait, I'm saying? Wait, 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 what is that? Well, you'll have to wait till the end. <laughs> it sounds so familiar. <laughs> Moshe, fast forward to next year. It is also the day that a former president got indicted. Yes, we already have our March 31st episode on this day lined up for next year. <laughs> okay, it's also Friday. What we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Okay, let's start with the big story. A grand jury in Manhattan has voted to indict Donald Trump. It is the first time in American history that a current or former president will face criminal charges. What exactly those charges are is unclear, although CNN is reporting that the indictment includes 34 counts of falsification of records. Jill, that's actually reporting as of Thursday evening from John Miller, a former colleague of mine at CBS News, former NYPD head of counterterror and someone who is very well sourced, the first one to get any details on the indictment here. Again, at least 34 counts of falsification of records. So the indictment is still sealed as of late Thursday, meaning that it is still not public. But it has widely been reported that D.A. Alvin Bragg has been looking into Trump's role in connection to alleged hush money payments made by Trump's camp to silence adult film actress Stormy Daniels and former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal over alleged affairs. Again, we are awaiting details on the indictment and how many crimes the former president is facing. The core of the case is believed to be surrounding the falsification of documents related to the hush money payments, because just making those payments to keep somebody quiet 
is not illegal. It always um, comes down to bookkeeping, Jill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the accountants, Mosh, that get into the trouble. Yeah. So that would break state law. But if it was done with the intention of getting around federal election law, that would make it a potential felony offense. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office now set to connect with Trump's attorneys to discuss his surrender to face an arraignment in the coming days. Trump released a statement Thursday claiming that it was, quote, political persecution and election interference at the highest level in history. I'll read a bit of his statement. He says, I believe this witch hunt will backfire massively on Joe Biden. The American people realize exactly what the radical left Democrats are doing here. Everyone can see it. So our movement and our party, united and strong, will first defeat Alvin Bragg, and then we will defeat Joe Biden, and we are going to throw every last one of these crooked Democrats out of office so we can make America great again, all caps. Yeah, so there's a lot to parse there. Uh, one thing we should keep in mind, Alvin Bragg is an elected Democrat. Uh, Joe Biden, the president, has uh, no relationship with the Manhattan DA's office, though. So I won't spend too much time on Trump's statement. Clearly, very angry about what is happening here. It may take several days before Trump will appear at the courthouse in New York. Right now, that is expected to happen at some point next week as they negotiate right now a surrender with Trump's people. Now that the grand jury has voted to indict him, the indictment must be handed up. Uh, at some point, we may be able to see it publicly. And that's when we'll learn some real details here. Remember that a grand jury just needs a preponderance of the evidence, meaning 51% of the evidence that somebody could be guilty of a crime. And that is what an indictment is. And a grand jury is much larger than a regular jury, does not need to be unanimous, just a majority here saying this person may have committed a crime. And so that's what we have here with the indictment. Prosecutors in these cases typically will contact the defense attorneys, in this case, Trump's attorneys, to negotiate the surrender. That's a common practice in these white-collar type investigations. Lawyers for Trump has said he will surrender to face charges, fly up from Mar-a-Lago, where he currently is, up to New York to face an arraignment, basically go before a judge. Trump is expected to walk through the routine steps of a felony arrest processing in New York. That includes fingerprinting. That includes a mugshot. He may even be handcuffed. That is unclear at this point. Accommodations may be made. In many white-collar cases, they handcuff you in the front. In some cases, they handcuff you behind your back. Again, that's negotiated. And that often surrounds whether the uh, individual is uh, considered dangerous. Uh, in this case, Trump, if he was to be handcuffed, probably in the front. Though, again, unlikely up in the air at this point. We do know mugshot. We do know fingerprinting. What makes this more complex, you know, Jill, you mentioned this is historic here. This is the first time we have a former or current president indicted is there's a negotiation that happens with the Secret Service here. This is the first time you'll have a major indicted person who literally has their own security around them as they're uh, facing arrest here. So then he goes through the arraignment, which is typically next week. This is not a trial. This is just going before the judge to hear the charges. Given this is nonviolent, he will then be released uh, to be able to go home after that until uh, the case can be heard. And we should note here, Jill, I mean, there's a lot to discuss here, but it is very normal in lots of countries for a head of state or head of government to be arrested. You know, French President Sarkozy served prison time. The Brazilian president, the current one, Lula, served prison time. There's dozens and dozens of countries around the world where the ex-leaders have faced uh, criminal charges and have gone to jail. We just haven't seen that here in the U.S. The closest thing we ever came to it was Richard Nixon. Apparently, there was talk of an indictment around Richard Nixon on obstruction of justice at one point. Keep in mind, Gerald Ford, who took over as president just after he resigned, 
pardon Nixon. So Nixon never had to face any charges for his crimes. So Mosh, is the takeaway here that politicians everywhere are crooks? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we've had 46 presidents, Jill. And so either they've all been perfect and never committed any crimes or we've just sort of let them get away with stuff. But other countries around the world, you know, they have ex-leaders sitting in jail. Certainly at the gubernatorial level, we've seen governors around the country go to jail. I come from a state, Illinois, where we've had several governors. In fact, we had a run of governors who all went to jail. We just never seen it on the commander in chief level. So there's extra complexity here. And then there's a case here, which is uh, unique. This is a falsification of documents case. Again, to our knowledge, the indictment is still sealed. So we don't know all the details here. But this is a falsification of documents case related to a hush money payment in order to defy election law. There's state laws here. There's potential trying to get around federal laws here. There's a question on the statute of limitations on a misdemeanor in New York is five years. This is seven years later. Now, keep in mind, they can argue between COVID and the fact that he was a former sitting president, so they couldn't indict him while he was president. They could make arguments that the statute is not relevant here, but you can expect that to come up in this case. And one other relevant fact here to keep in mind, this type of case was tried against John Edwards. You might remember him. He ran for president in 04 and 08. He had hush money payments, multiple ones, to his mistress, uh, his campaign videographer at the time, faced a trial related to election law, uh, and actually it was a hung jury. He wasn't found guilty on that. So that's something others cite here, being like, yo, Alvin Bragg, DA, I know you think you can get Trump here, but this is a complicated case. And by the way, as we mentioned often on this podcast, this is not the only thing Trump is facing. He's got the potential Georgia indictment and two potential federal indictments related to January 6th and then the classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago. So this is just one part of the legal mess he finds himself in. Moshe, it's a good time to remind everybody that just because he's been indicted and faces criminal charges does not mean that he cannot run for president. It is certainly not one of the things that would bar him from running and from holding office. And in fact, a lot of political analysts have said that Trump will figure out a way to turn this in his favor. I've been looking on Twitter to see some reactions. Ron DeSantis fully backing Trump here. He says the weaponization of the legal system to advance a political agenda turns the rules of law on its head. It is un-American. And he continues. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, Al Sharpton and other Democrats praising the decision. Yeah, you really see a circling of the wagons uh, by Republicans here. Uh, Speaker McCarthy also coming out in support of Trump. Uh, you know, many people, Alvin Bragg is a Democrat. He's an elected Democratic DA in many places in this country. The district attorney is elected, right, and has a political affiliation uh, associated with their name. And so it is an easy target for Republicans to be like, listen, this guy's a Democrat. He's going after uh, Trump for political purposes. There's a lot we don't know yet, including what is in that indictment, because as a DA, your reputation is at stake here. And so you don't typically want to pursue cases, especially one against a presidential candidate slash former president where you don't have the goods. And so we will see in the coming days whether uh, he has the goods here. And the big question is, politically, how does this play? As you mentioned, there's only two things in the Constitution about being president. You have to be 35 years old and you have to be a natural born citizen. Besides that, there are no other rules. You could literally be in prison and be the president of the United States. It is up to the voters to decide uh, you know, whether... They want to see uh, somebody who's currently under indictment or been indicted uh, be president. And that'll start next year on the Republican primaries and then go to next year's general election. So, you know, Trump believes that the the base, the Republican base, 
will circle the wagons around him, and this will be helpful to him over the course of the next year, how it plays with the sort of middle ground, the independents, or sort of more moderate Republicans, unclear at this point. Again, it's too early to say. There's a lot of reporting that Trump was shocked that this indictment came down. Look, we reported in our podcast yesterday that we likely wouldn't have any decision from the grand jury for another few weeks. And that was pretty much what the Trump camp thought also. So not only did this surprise journalists, but it surprised Trump as well. Yeah, we also made a point on yesterday's podcast of noting that nobody knows what happens inside a grand jury. You try to delineate things based on their schedule. And we saw based on their schedule, they're taking a couple of weeks off and they're going to hear another case. At the same time, we also mentioned on yesterday's podcast that literally they can vote for an indictment in less than 30 minutes. Uh, and it's at the discretion of the DA. And so I guess the DA was just like, we're going to go for it. Let's take the vote, everybody. And so they went with it. Again, a lot of historic things going to be happening in the next few days here. So buckle up, folks. All right. We'll, of course, be staying on top of all of the developments. Uh, But for now, let's head back to Nashville, where Tennessee residents are demanding that something be done about gun violence. Thousands turned up at the Tennessee state capitol on Thursday, demanding tighter gun laws just days, of course, after the mass shooting at a Christian elementary school, the Covenant School, where a shooter killed three nine-year-olds and three employees earlier this week. As a local newspaper in Nashville put it, where Wednesday night's vigil was a space for the community to grieve and mourn together, Thursday's rally was a demonstration of righteous anger and calls for action. You saw school-age children, teachers, seniors, there were parents holding their babies, all crowded into Legislative Plaza. They were holding signs, chanting, yelling as Republican state lawmakers entered the chambers. Democratic leaders, though, many of them joined in with the protests. Um, and again, demonstrators of all ages. I was really looking at the video and I noticed most just so many young people teens, as I mentioned, parents with young children. You saw strollers. You saw students in school uniforms. At one point, protesters silently held up six fingers representing the six victims of Monday's shooting. But here's what it sounded like as that crowd gathered. Now, Republicans in Tennessee, the Republican leadership, they pretty much refuse to consider any kind of restrictions on gun ownership. But the lieutenant governor, who is the Republican leader in the Senate, now said he is open to a red flag law and that he um, is also opposed to expanding the open carry um, law that they have to long guns. It's not clear, though, if Republican leaders in the state will agree with him on that. Some of the signs that people were holding in the crowd, there was one that said, it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me with an arrow pointing to an assault rifle. Of course, that's a play on Taylor Swift's lyrics. There was another sign that read, my nieces and nephews deserve better. Yeah, staying with the Taylor theme, there was another sign that said, I want to live in an America where it's harder to get an AR-15 than Taylor Swift tickets. Now, it's notable, we noted on this podcast uh, yesterday that uh, Tennessee is effectively controlled by the Republican Party uh, at all levels, and that makes potential legislation, especially when it comes to guns, unlikely here. Uh, Just two years ago, the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, led the charge to allow any resident 21 years or older to carry handguns in public without a permit. For some, actually, that wasn't enough. A gun rights group sued and said the minimum age should be 18. And so then they negotiated a deal to allow 18-year-olds to carry handguns publicly. We should also note that Governor Lee's wife was actually set to have dinner 
with one of the women who was killed in the shooting on Monday. So we'll see what comes of that. Uh, of course, you mentioned the red flag law. That would, you know, That's a law that's been implemented in nearly 20 states now that allows police to take away weapons should someone have uh, mental health issues and a family member call saying that they could be violent. There's been mixed success on those red flag laws. In some cases, it's only been used a handful of times in some states. Again, it's contingent on family or friends calling the cops on a family member. And so you see those laws happening at a state level because the federal government hasn't really done that much in recent years related to gun violence. Though the debate did hit Washington in the past 48 hours, uh, including in the halls of Congress, Jill. Listen to this back and forth between two congressmen. This is Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York, and Thomas Massey, a Republican from Kentucky, with a very tense exchange in the Capitol on Wednesday. Keep in mind, Jamal Bowman, the Democrat, is a former school principal who's calling for stricter gun control, Massey, an advocate for arming all teachers. Force them to respond to the question, why the hell won't you do anything to save America's children? And let them explain that all the way up until election day of 2024. Let them explain it all the way up to election day of 2024. They're freaking cowards. They're gutless. They're not here. I'm talking about gun violence. You know, there's never been a school school that allows teachers to carry. Carry guns? More guns lead to more death. More guns lead to more death. So, Jill, I don't know how productive that was, but certainly very passionate. Jamal Bowman taken to the hallways, saw the media there, wanted to you know, take an opportunity. Thomas Massey wanted to take an opportunity to push his legislation. By the way, he's going to be reproposing that in the Republican-led House next week, a bill to arm all teachers in the country. And I did definitely heard from people on Instagram, teachers who are like, don't we have enough to do? I have to worry about having a gun in addition to teaching children. It was interesting in that video that was circulating that we just played with um, Jamal Bowman, the, the congressman from New York. It sounded like in the beginning he was talking to the media saying, guys, demand more of these lawmakers. Get answers from them about why they're not doing anything. I could be wrong, Mosh, but you watched the video as well. But it seemed like that's how this all started. Yeah, Jill, I think people are just so frustrated. You know, again, you saw the death of, of small children again this week in school, kids fearing going to school, uh, you know, kids strategizing about where they're going to hide in their classroom should their school have the next school shooting. And legislators are just like, we need to do something. And again, it, you know, we've talked about it all week on this podcast about, you know, taking a nuanced look at a, at a number of provisions that can be done when it comes to mental health, when it comes to guns, when it comes to school security, et cetera. You know, I posed the question to gun owners on the Instagram account and heard from hundreds of gun owners who are like, I'm a gun owner, and I think there are things that can be done here. And some people want to go as far as an assault weapons ban. Some people want to, you know, do much less than that. But there are ways to approach this. And there is this feeling that we can't just do nothing, that 45,000 Americans are dying from gun violence every year. We got to take an issue that is the leading killer of children in this country seriously. And if there's a provision or a law or a change that can be made that can literally save one child's life, then that's something we need to do. All right, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, including the speed read. But first, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start with Bull and Branch Sheets. We talk a lot on this podcast about sleep studies, the importance of getting your eight hours of sleep. And so we're so happy to be partnering with a brand that helps you do just that. It certainly has in my household, Bull and Branch Sheets. Bull is spelled, by the way, B-O-L-L. 
They offer sheets that are 100% traceable organic cotton. They get softer with every wash. We've had them now for nearly six months in our house. We actually just got another set and we've been loving them. Jill, I learned recently that four American presidents have used Bowling Brand sheets. So you have that endorsement right there. And they're offering right now a special deal to the Mo News community with a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. orders. And so right now, Mo News listeners can have early access to their spring sale 20% off using the code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get 20% off today at bullandbranch.com. That is Bull and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H, bullandbranch.com, promo code MONEWS. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And Mosh, we talk nostalgia on this podcast quite a bit. And one thing that many of us look back fondly on is the cereals that we used to eat from back in the day. Well, Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of those flavors in a more wholesome way. Their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors are all the hit. You can have the nostalgia in a low-carb way. Great thing, though, is that they are also gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and no sugar. And Magic Spoon is a special deal right now for the Mo News community. Go to magicspoon.com slash Mo News to grab a variety pack and try it today. The U.S. promo code is Mo News, M-O-N-E-W-S. At checkout, you'll save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund you your money. No questions asked. Remember, you can get your next delicious bowl of high protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash monews and use the code monews to save $5. Time now for the speed read from the Wall Street Journal. For the first time since the Cold War, an American journalist is being detained in Russia, accused of spying. Russia's security service arrested Evan Gershkovich, an American reporter for the Wall Street Journal, on espionage charges. The newspaper denied the allegations and demanded his release. Gershkovich was detained outside of Moscow while allegedly trying to obtain classified information. This is according, though, to the FSB, which is the successor to the Soviet KGB. The organization claims that Gershkovich was, quote, acting on instructions from the American side to collect information about the activities of one of the enterprises of the Russian military industrial complex that constitutes a state secret. Okay. Uh, again, the paper denying the allegations. Gerskovich speaks fluent Russian. He has worked for the New York Times and a French news agency. He is an accredited reporter in Russia. He now works again for the Wall Street Journal as a correspondent for their Moscow bureau. The White House says the State Department was in direct touch with the Russian government and seeking access to Gershkovich. Uh, Russia has said, though, it is premature to talk about any type of prisoner swap. Yeah, it appears like Gershkovich was just being a journalist here in Russia. But of course, Russia has many, many rules. And it appears that the Russians saw an opportunity here to arrest a prominent American. And we'll see what this ends up turning into. The White House says that the targeting of American citizens by the Russian government is unacceptable and condemns the detention of Gershkovich in the strongest terms. This does come, of course, as the relationship between Moscow and the West continues to be in a pretty dire straits here over the last year since the invasion of Ukraine. Russian authorities have been cracking down on opposition activists, independent journalists, civil society groups, though here the arrest of an American is an escalation here. 
The Russians have imposed a whole bunch of rules that make it really difficult to report inside Russia. That includes, by the way, not being able to even use the term war to describe what's happening in Ukraine. They like to call it a special operation. And they say that if you use these certain terms, you might get arrested. In this case, it's not clear what Gershkovich uh, was reporting on, but the Russians have declared that spying. And that's where we're at. And if it seems like deja vu, well, it was just over a year ago that WNBA star Brittany Griner was arrested. She ended up serving 10 months in prison for what was believed to be trumped up charges related to some residue that she had of CBD in her suitcases. She was then freed in a prisoner exchange late last year for a Russian arms dealer. There's another American, Paul Whelan, a uh, former Marine who's been in a Russian prison on espionage charges for several years now, and they've been working on a prisoner exchange for him. There's been dozens of exchanges through the years between the Russians, Americans, going back multiple administrations. And so it's too early to say, though, what will happen here with Gershkovich. Well, he could face up to 20 years in prison if he's convicted of espionage. A lot of prominent lawyers and experts who are familiar with this, uh, one of them told the AP that um, past investigations into espionage cases took a year to 18 months, during which time uh, Gershkovich will likely have little contact with the outside world. But they say that it really speaks to how much things have changed. There used to be this unwritten rule not to touch accredited foreign journalists. And clearly that has stopped working. Um, And that is partly why we saw so many American journalists leave the country as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, Moshe, I remember early on in the war, you interviewed a journalist on the ground in Moscow, and he talked about why he decided to stay because it was quite risky. Yeah, this was a journalist, an American, uh, who uh, reports for PBS and some other networks. Incidentally, Jill, when he spoke to me, he had left the country. I think he was in Uzbekistan or Kazakhstan at that point. But he was planning on heading back because he thought he knew how to navigate these Russian rules. Again, in this case, it appears that the Russians have decided that Gershkovich, again, is a foreign spy. And we'll see what these allegations are, etc. We should keep in mind here that Russian courts are all behind closed doors. And there have been no acquittals in any treason cases in Russia going back to when Putin took over in 1999. And so that doesn't look great here. Uh, Keep in mind, the White House warns all Americans not to travel to Russia for this particular reason. But of course, journalists feel a professional obligation to report out stories. And so in many cases, we'll take these sorts of risks. From CBS News, officials confirmed Thursday morning that nine U.S. Army service members were killed when two Black Hawk helicopters crashed in Kentucky on Wednesday night. The helicopters were from Fort Campbell, an Army installation on the Kentucky-Tennessee border. That crash happened at about 10 p.m. It involved two Black Hawk air assault helicopters. They were on a routine training mission. The deputy commander of the 101st Airborne Division said that there were five people in one helicopter and then four in the other, which is a fairly typical arrangement. And he said that the aircraft uh, were practicing a multi-ship formation using night vision goggles. He said the helicopters were practicing medical evacuation drills, but that the crash appears to have occurred while they were flying and not doing those exercises. The U.S. Army has deployed an aircraft safety team to investigate what took place here. They're also in the process of notifying families of all the uh, people who were killed. The helicopters crashed in an open field across from a residential area. So thankfully, there were no casualties or injuries on the ground. Uh, This group, again, based at Fort Campbell, which is about 60 miles northwest of Nashville. Last month, there were two Tennessee National Guard pilots who were killed when their Black Hawk helicopter 
crash in Alabama during a training mission. So, so clearly here, they'll also have to investigate uh, Blackhawks and ensure that those are safe right now. From NBC News, Utah jury sided with actor Gwyneth Paltrow on Thursday, deciding that she was not at fault for a 2016 ski accident with a retired Utah optometrist. Terry Sanderson filed a $300,000 lawsuit against Paltrow, alleging that reckless skiing caused her to run into him from behind in 2016 at Utah's Deer Valley Resort. The collision left Sanderson with four broken ribs, a concussion, and lasting brain damage that affected his daily life and personal relationships, he said. The jury deliberated for two and a half hours and agreed that Sanderson was, in fact, at fault, not Paltrow. Paltrow countersued for $1 as well as her legal fees, insisting that she did not run into Sanderson, that in fact, it was the other way around. There you have it, Jill. We talked about it on the podcast. Gwyneth wasn't going to stand and just have to pay him off. She put out a statement after the verdict on Thursday saying, quote, I felt that acquiescing to a false claim compromised my integrity. And so I am pleased with the outcome. I appreciate the hard work of the judge and the jury. And I thank them for their thoughtfulness in handling my case. Much of the testimony in this two-week trial, uh, which was televised, got a lot of attention, centered on precisely who was uphill, who crashed into whom. Uh, keep in mind, by the way, Sanderson initially sought $3 million a couple years ago. That suit was dismissed. Then he refiled it for 300000 That went forward here. But the jury, in two and a half hours, said, nope, Sanderson's fault. Paltrow, you're okay. You get a dollar plus your legal fees. Jill, there were some questions, by the way, on that $1 sum. And Gwyneth just said, you know, she wanted to do it as a matter of principle. She wanted her legal fees covered and $1 is a matter of principle here, uh, you know, not feeling the need to charge him anymore. Well, considering you cannot buy anything these days for a dollar, <laughs> I guess the, that for the principle is, is just about all she we can could frame expect. it. She can frame it in <laughs> <Yes>. her home. <laughs> she did wish him well after the trial, though. That video is circulating online. Okay, let's talk housing and population trends from Axios. Texas was home to six of the top 10 largest growing counties in 2022, according to Census Bureau data out this week. The largest gainer, though, was in Arizona, Maricopa County, which is home to Phoenix. The other three entries in the top 10 growth counties were in Florida. You have Polk, Lee, and Hillsborough counties. Yeah, so we're talking Tampa, Orlando Burbs there on the I-4 corridor, Jill, and Fort Myers in Naples, so the west coast of Florida. America's shift in money, people, and power to the Sun Belt, propelled by COVID, is continuing even as the pandemic eases. After the Phoenix area, the second biggest gainer was Harris County in Texas, which is home to Houston. Collin County, Texas, a northern suburb of Dallas, ranked third in overall population rise between July of 2021 and July of 2022. As for the biggest declines, I thought this was interesting. L.A. County and Cook County in Illinois, home to Chicago. But those are still the most populous U.S. counties. Uh, followed by Harris County um, in Texas. Yeah, so this is a lot of what we've been seeing that we've been tracking since COVID, the move to the South. Though notably, the Wall Street Journal, in their analysis, found that big cities have lost fewer residents in the last year, especially as immigrants have started to move in. That's evident in Manhattan, Seattle, Dallas, as well as down in Southeast Florida in Miami-Dade County and Broward County. The suburbs of big cities and small and medium-sized metropolitan areas continue to claim the country's most growth, of note in Manhattan, which saw a population decline of nearly 100,000 between summer 2020 and summer 2021, it actually rebounded 
between 2021 and 2022, the summer of 2022 at least, by uh, nearly 18,000. And let me tell you, Jill, that's when we got out of Manhattan because rent prices kept going up. So despite what you might be seeing out there in various uh, media storylines, New York City is still a place people want to call home. And we are all about nostalgia here on the Mo News podcast. Uh, so I couldn't resist this story from Variety. Jennifer Aniston says that a whole generation of kids finds friends offensive. Aniston is out promoting her new Netflix movie, Murder Mystery 2. She said comedy's evolved. Now it's a little tricky because you have to be very careful, which makes it really hard for comedians because the beauty of comedy is that we make fun of ourselves. We make fun of life. She said in the past, you could joke about a bigot and have a laugh. That was hysterical. And it was about educating people on how ridiculous people were. Now on to the issue of Friends. She says there is a whole generation of people, kids who are now going back to episodes of Friends and find them offensive. There were things that were never intentional and others, well, we should have thought it through, but I don't think there was a sensitivity like there is now. She says, everybody though needs funny. The world needs humor. We can't take ourselves too seriously, especially in the United States when everyone is so divided. Yeah, of course, tastes change, right? I mean, what was funny when they were writing it in 1998 for a Friends episode, probably less relevant literally 25 years later. I mean, and so you see that in film and you see that in TV shows. You know, one of the things Friends has been called out for in recent years was the lack of diversity of the cast. Lisa Kudrow once made headlines saying that if the show ever returned or got rebooted, it would not be an all-white cast. She was talking to the Daily Beast last year, and Kudrow made sense of the show's lack of diversity, saying that the Friends creators, David Crane and Marta Kaufman, had no business telling stories about people of color given their own backgrounds. Keep in mind, on Friends, there were a whole bunch of uh, supporting actors and actresses who were uh, diverse, but of course, the six main friends there were not. Kudrow, in that discussion last year, said, I feel like it was a show created by two people who went to Brandeis and wrote about their lives in college. And for shows especially, when it's going to be a comedy that's character-driven, you write what you know. They had no business writing stories about experiences of being a person of color because, of course, they were not. So again, this speaks to, and we've you know talked about this intermittently, when it comes to, you know, comedy through the years. I mean, even if you look at films from 10 years ago, Jill, uh, given the way that culture moves and sensitivities, et cetera, uh, they feel out of place as things change in the year 2023. Kaufman, actually, who was one of the show's writers and creators, she said that she was really embarrassed um, by and feels a lot of guilt over the lack of diversity on Friends. She had, uh, donated $4 million to create a professorship in African and African-American studies at Brandeis. Um, but yeah, I mean, it speaks to changing tastes. There are shows that stand the test of time. And you know, obviously, I love Seinfeld. I still watch Seinfeld on Netflix a lot of times if I'm going to sleep and I just want something light. I think that show, besides for maybe the technology, like the fact that they're using payphones and stuff, I still think that that show um, holds up. I mean, listen, you can go back in time. You can also look at back at the Norman Lear comedies of the 70s, like All in the Family, uh, the Jeffersons, etc., and note some of the subjects they discussed were uh, very progressive for the time. And in this day and age, again, people would find it offensive. So again, you write for the time. And then, you know, in the rerun era, it can remain relevant to some and not others. But it's an important discussion to have nonetheless. All right, now for On This Day in History, on this last day of March, 2023, March 31st, on this day, 134 years ago, the Eiffel Tower, the technological masterpiece created by Gustave Eiffel that was meant to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution, 
officially opened on this day in 1889. Uh, the structure is 984 feet, 300 meters. And it was actually, Jill, the tallest man-made building in more than 3,000 years. The Great Pyramid was the tallest human-built structure for three millennia until the Eiffel Tower in 1889. All right, fast forward a little bit to the 20th century. On this day in 1918, our least favorite thing or our most favorite thing, daylight saving time, officially went into operation for the first time ever as clocks were set one hour ahead on this day in 1918. Reminder to everybody in the 70s, we tried to make daylight saving time permanent. Remember, daylight saving time is singular. It's weird, but that's the deal. And people disliked it so much, we canceled it after a year and went back to whole switching the clock back and forth between standard and daylight. Now to a little political history. On this day in 1968, President Lyndon Johnson ended a televised speech about the Vietnam War by announcing he would not be seeking re-election. It stunned viewers, stunned the media. Very rare moment in American history where a president chooses not to seek a second term. Of course, that's been speculated about with Joe Biden. Right now, it appears he will seek a second term. But President Johnson, the last president to choose not to seek a second term in office. Okay, Jill, now to the exciting conclusion of the clue earlier. Boop, boop. On this day in history, 24 years ago, TiVo was released. Ah, I knew it sounded familiar. Okay, it's all coming together. TiVo, the first ever DVR device. Uh, For those of you who are too young to know, there was a moment in time where we couldn't just record shows willy-nilly. You had to put a VHS end tape. Your mom might record over it. You lose the show. And even that only existed for a little bit of time. TiVo revolutionized the digital recording era. I feel like occasionally I still say, you know, to my husband or someone, can you TiVo that for me? And it's like, it's so antiquated. It definitely is an indication of when you were born because it's a reference that uh, the younger Gen Z set definitely won't know. So Jill, that was March 31st, 1999. Something else really important (laughs) happened on that day. Do tell, Mosh. So this was pre-YouTube era, folks, but this was a viral moment if moments could be viral. On this day, March 31st, 1999, Fabio was hit in the face by a bird while riding a roller coaster at Bush Gardens in Williamsburg, Virginia. <laughs> it was a moment. It was to get this bloody face. He was on a roller coaster. Fabio, you know, I can't believe it's not butter. You might have remembered those ads. A model. And he got hit in the face by a bird. And I just thought it's important for people to know that. On this day. <laughs> <laughs> I needed this laugh after what has been a really crazy um, and, and rough news week. Um, but Mosh, when he came out covered in <laughs> covered in feathers, you were just like, "What are the odds <laughs> that a man, a male model known for his face, is on a roller coaster and he's hit?" by a bird in his face. I don't, like, who does that happen to? Fabio, apparently. All right, we have a little bit more to get to in this podcast, but I'll end on this day with this song celebrating a big 39th birthday today. That, of course, is Footloose by Kenny Loggins. It reached number one on the Billboard charts on this day in 1984. So not quite 40 years ago yet, folks, so don't feel too old. Jill, fun fact. The film actually wanted Tom Cruise to play Ren, the main character there. He was unavailable. Then they wanted Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe blew out his ACL, so it wasn't available. So then their backup, Kevin Bacon. And it's one of those movies you couldn't even imagine it with anybody else at this point. 
It's always fun looking into casting decisions by these iconic films. But you look back and you're like, okay, Tom Cruise and Rob Lowe at that moment in kind of movie history were like the ones people wanted. But they ended up going with Kevin Bacon and good for them. It was great. It was a great film and Kevin has gone on to a great career. All right, Mosh, it is Friday. Cheers to the freaking weekend. Time for what we are watching, reading and eating this weekend. Uh, Start us off. So I loved the premiere of Succession last weekend, so I'm very much looking forward to episode two uh, this week. It is the final season of Succession, so taking it all in. And of course, Final Four basketball for the women and the men this weekend. What are you watching? Speaking of Jennifer Aniston, uh, Murder Mystery 2 is out on Netflix. She stars uh, alongside Adam Sandler. Jill, what are you reading this weekend? Mosh, I am in a book club. Somehow my first one ever, or actually I think it's just the first one where I've I've read the book. Um, and this <laughs> month we are reading One True Loves. It's by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It's kind of chiclet or a beach read or however, whatever you want to call it. But I basically read this book in two days. Um, it's being turned into a movie this year. Yesterday, I actually took out uh, a bunch of her other books from the library because it kind of got me back into reading for pleasure. So that is what I'm going to be reading. I'm looking forward to the what we're reading in the coming weeks, Jill. Yes, I actually have something besides an Atlantic or a New York Times article. <laughs> we're upgrading from news stories. Um, it, incidentally, Jill, I actually just got started on a book called Launchpad Republic. It's a history of American entrepreneurship that goes back to like our colonial days and tries to get at what has made America so unique when it comes to startups. You know, nine of the 11 trillion dollar companies around the world are American. Uh, America has the most amount of unicorn companies. So what is it about American culture, American history that has created this environment for startups and entrepreneurship? So it's a very interesting read. Jill, take us home. What are you eating? Well, Passover starts next week. So uh, a whole lot of matzah. What about you? I will get there on Wednesday night eventually, Jill, though I'm not going to get into it early because that (laughs) gets boring very quickly. In the meantime, actually, just as I was prepping for the podcast, um, Alex, my wife, was making quesadillas. Uh, which are simple, but just so good. You can throw anything in there, and uh, it's a great snack. You always win this category, Mosh, because you have Alex. I'm a very lucky man, Jill. On that note, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Please follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Don't forget to follow us on the Instagram. It's going to be an interesting weekend between all the news developments, so check us out over there at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H. Bye, everybody. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. Have a good weekend.